Welcome to the Wellness Pie Shop, where each episode we delve into a different slice of wellness in hopes of nourishing ourselves. With the help of special guests and a little of our own irreverent insight, we'll dive into some of the ingredients that make up the whole of Wellness Pie. We're your hosts, Dina Searden. And I'm Rachel Paez. Thanks for joining us. Now grab a cup of tea, sit back and relax, and enjoy a piece of Wellness Pie. I want to say welcome to this week's Wellness Pie Shop. And on today's show, we have Samaya Ding Lawson, who is a social worker. And just, um, she has a great sense of humor and I love talking to her. So welcome, Samaya. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm really excited. I was talking to Connor about this morning, Connor's my husband, talking this morning about how this is our podcast and you're our guest and how happy I was and excited about it because one, I love having conversations with you because they're always, like Dina said, they're always funny, but I only know you in a certain capacity. And so I'm excited Mm -hmm. to learn more about who you are inside and like what makes you the person that I've interacted with. Oh my God. Like, I don't even know where to start. (laughs) It's such an awesome introduction. Yeah. I'm super happy to be here. I feel like the three of us, we have this sort of energy together where it's kind of unspoken, but I feel like a sense of connection with you guys. And so I'm actually really glad to be here. It feels familiar. Like we're, we're doing equine therapy today, except we're not. We're doing yeah. different. We like to start off each of our podcasts. So people, our listeners, the six of them that we have get to know you. <laughs> okay. Sounds okay. good. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be where you are today? Um, since I've been up since two 30 this morning, you think I'd have a lot to say. So I'm going to try and figure out where to sort of start. The beginning's always good. The beginning's always good. You told me to think about what my core values are, right? And, and how did, how I come to them to be where I am today. And so reflecting upon, so this is where I want to start. I want to start with the fact that um, I'm actually Asian biracial and Filipino, German and Irish. And at first, I think a lot of you don't really know how much my, my ethnic identity plays a role in who I am because I'm 45 now, but at such a young age, um, I struggled with fitting in between not really looking Filipino enough and not looking really white enough. For me, it's always been a struggle to sort of figure out who who I was at a young age. And so kind of that's where my journey started was, was that, you know? So what was that like for you? Um, which one of your parents was Filipino and which one was- Or is, they're both European alive. or is, I'm sorry, yes. Um, my mom is, yeah. So my mom's Caucasian, um, from New York city and my dad is Filipino first generation from the Philippines. Um, he's from Quezon province, Lucena city. Um, and he immigrated here in his twenties, um, because he completed uh, medical school in the Philippines and was coming here for his res- residency. Um, so he actually met my mom in New York at the hospital where she worked. Um, she was an RN at the time and that's kind of, where the story sort of unfolds and they, yeah, they essentially get married and they have two of us. My brother is three years younger than me and my dad moved out to California and well, things kind of, they separated. And so they moved out here um, to California to kind of, my dad wanted to start his own practice. Um, and so even though my parents were kind of separated or going through something at the time, my mom decided to follow him out here. And I was so glad she was because I got to grow up and be a part of my dad's side, the Filipino side. I've got to be a huge part of that was a huge part of me growing up with them and my first, my 
what is it? First cousins. Yeah. My first cousins are like my siblings still today. So yeah. I think you touched on something that I'm excited to dig into because a lot of conversations that are happening in the world today are about race. And um, I was listening to a woman speak on a similar subject of she's half black and that a big struggle in the conversation of race for her was she's not in either of the categories totally. and nobody's talking about the, the group of people that aren't being accepted by either side of the race conversation because mm-hmm. you're not in this case, you're not Filipino enough and you're not white enough. And yet mm-hmm. there's no, well, where am I enough kind of mm-hmm. conversation that happens. And so I'm really curious to know how that struggle as a kid, you know, like being in elementary school and yeah, you're kind of having that conversation, but it, I, I would imagine it doesn't become more of an identity crisis until you're in your like early teens, mid teens. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of true for you or did it start at an earlier age or later age? So it it started at an earlier age and only because it was people's observ like their comments that they'd make to my mom. So I'd be out with my mom who's very fair. She had like light brown, she has light brown hair. Um, and so they would ask my mom if I was adopted, you know, because mm. we look so different. Right. And so that was so completely insulting to me and to my mom, you know, that how can, how can people even think that? Like, because all you know is like, all I know is that that's my mom, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't think I look so different for people to make such, I don't know, offensive comments, I guess. So yeah, it's, it, it, it starts because of people's reactions towards you. It's not like even something you become conscious of until you get that kind of feedback. So that would be part of it. The other part is I'd meet Filipinos, like full Filipinos. And I would tell them that I'm half Filipino. They're like, no, you don't even look Filipino. You don't mm. look Filipino at all. And I'm like, inside I'm dying, right? I'm crushed because I want so much to belong and fit in and feel like, but you guys are my people. Like I look, you know, I look like you had the dark hair and the brown eyes, you know? Um, but no, to feel that sense of rejection at such a young age, it was really hard, really, really hard. You said something though, that's so key, which was you didn't know it until society influenced that thought. And I think I love seeing the videos where, again, back to the race conversation where you see the little white boy and the little black boy and they're hugging and playing. And, you know, you're just kind of validating this idea that like race isn't something that's necessarily thought about until it's a conflict in society. And in your life, it was people couldn't see your mom as your mom because your race was so different. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just really key to remember is that like, it's such a, it's such a society imposed idea mm-hmm. instead of what you naturally feel like that you didn't naturally feel like you and your mom were different. Right. It wasn't until somebody was like, Oh, you guys are different that you then started having this complex of like, well, crap, why, why am I so different? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just think that's really important. I'm also struck by the fact that there was no sense of belonging on either side mm-hmm. and how that must've been for you as a child, because as a child, what matters most is that security and the safety 
And especially you have a large extended family. Uh, You said your cousins and you were able to connect with them. And yet, I mean, tell me about that because it sounds like, was it your family who was saying, oh, you're not Filipino enough or were it the outside people, the folks that would come to parties and, you know, those kinds of things? I think I was lucky because my actual family, my immediate family, my cousins, my aunts and uncles on my dad's side were super warm and welcoming. And it was, I felt accepted because they knew, they knew me. It didn't matter what I looked like. Right. I was was part of the family. It's the people that are outside the friends or friends and or random people that we'd meet that would make these just rude judgments about what I should look like or I don't know. Um, yeah, I think what I should look like. They thought I should look a certain way in order to be Filipino, right? Like, and I just didn't, I just didn't get that. I didn't understand it. And and so what was helpful though is my family kind of just surrounded me and my brother and took us in, which that's what family does, right? Like my grandmother, my Lola, like she barely spoke English. Like our my communication sucked. It was like we bonded over like um Princess Diana stuff. I don't know. Like it was like, that was her bonding moments with people, magazines, gossip, like, but it didn't matter when, when I was there, she'd make me whatever I wanted to eat, any Filipino dish, any, my favorite was her fish that she made was amazing, you know? And so thank God for them because they are what helped me to feel like I was normal, you know, that I wasn't different, that even though I was half, I still belonged, you know? I'm really interested. You kind of had said it before when you were reflecting on your core values and how a lot of that came from your identity. And Mm -hmm. so I'm interested to know, like, what are these core values? Oh my goodness. There's a couple of them that I was trying to really reflect on saying like, which is the ones I want to talk about the most, Uh, which do I think had a huge impact on me and um, thinking about culture and race and my family and being from two different uh, cultures and with, with that growing up too, there's also certain beliefs about who we are and what we talk about and what we don't talk about and who we're expected to be in society. And so um, the first one I'm going to talk about is being authentic because I think being searching for who, who I am has been so hard and such a struggle, but I always need to be true to myself somehow. Like this is like, even though I didn't fit in, right. Even though I didn't know what I wanted to do in on my dad's side, the Filipino side, like they highly stressed to be able to call it college bound, even better, like a doctor, a lawyer, you know, anything that made like six digits, they were just, they were happy about, you know? And so for me, (laughs) you'd be a doctor. I was like, I'm not going to be a doctor. I have no desire to be a doctor. I don't want to help people in that way. Blood and stuff grosses me out. Like I, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that. You know, my dad is a doctor. My uncle is a doctor. My aunt is a doctor. So like this was the normal that was the path I was supposed to take was you need to be a doctor. And I was like, no, I don't, Mm-mm. you know, and, and like not being, I felt okay with saying no for some reason. Like it was like, I'm just not going to do that. It's just not me. Right. And so I think um, really having to sit with not again, not fitting in, right. Not being good in, like not feeling good enough, not being good enough. Cause I, I'm not who they want me to be. Right. That was hard. It was really hard. And that was really true. Not only were you not being who your family wanted you to be, your dad, but also you weren't who the Filipino side wanted you to be or the white side wanted you to be. 
So and it was a real only, theme. Not only were you, you couldn't be because you're, you can't change your skin color. You can't mm-hmm. change the fact that you're half of something. And I feel right. like that's such a, it's so hard. Cause it's, that's probably what you wanted to do. You were like, well, I wish I could be enough. I wish I could change mm-hmm. everything to be mm-hmm. what you wanted to be. And, and I'm wondering if that is, that almost actually helped you. The fact that you couldn't be help mm-hmm. you say no and be like, well, Hey guys, like this is actually out of my control and I actually right. can't change these things. And so I'm, I love that. That's your first, that authenticity is your first value because I think it's, you almost had no choice, but to be authentic. Mm. I mean, you did, you had the choice, but you kind of were like, all right, well, I'm just going to kind of use this to my advantage that I don't have control over my skin, my skin tone, or the fact that I'm half of something. And I'm just going to be okay with that. I imagine that that wasn't that as easy as I'm saying no, it to me. Definitely not. <laughs> I imagine it wasn't as easy as I'm saying definitely it to me. Definitely not. But, no, I'm 45 and I'm so much better now. But like, yeah, it was, it's, it was definitely a process and mm-hmm. a, like a lengthy, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. I took a, so, so in trying to figure out who I am and trying to be authentic and true to myself, part of my journey was to figure out what I was going to do. I, I knew I was going to go to college. Luckily, I was smart enough. Thank God for that. Cause I never did my homework. If I did, I cheated, you know, or <laughs> I, did my, I did my homework before class was due. Like I was just, I was sort of kind of a mess, but I presented well enough to be like, you know, if we had AP classes, those are the classes I would be in, but we didn't really have classes like that. Actually, I got into one AP class, US history. And I was like, this shit is way too hard. This requires too much work. I got to get out of here. So I, I gladly demoted myself to regular history. So like, I'm super lucky guys. Super lucky. I end up getting into, I did well enough to get into UC Santa Barbara. And I was like, I guess that's the school I'm going to go to. Didn't want to be a doctor, knew I liked helping people, had no idea what I was going to do, but still on this journey to figure out who I was like with my identity. Um, I decided to, oh, I decided to pursue sociology, which I love. Oh my God. I still love the, the, the part about figuring out people. Right. And society. It's just like you said, where we belong and why things are the way they are in our world. And the other part I decided to do was major in Asian American studies because I I needed to figure out who I was, right? Like I'm not going to get it necessarily from my family or other people in the community. Let me get through education, sort of figure out my process of identity. And that's exactly what I did. I, I double majored in Asian American studies and in sociology. Did it help? It did actually a lot. I would, I would imagine the combination almost too is like kind of like a good combination to maybe figure out some stuff. Absolutely. Right. You kind of fall into these things, right? So like race and relations, understanding, um, you know, racial identity, racism, um, all that stuff were the themes that I like studied in sociology. Like those things like really hit home for me. And I had a lot of passion about, you know, and and I was driven towards it. Like it was something that fed me, right? And in like in doing that, uh, and then studying, you know, having been an ethnic studies major, like it just kind of intersected well, right? Like I knew I wanted to understand more about my culture and, and my identity. And so learning that from, you know, and sort of like an, I guess, an educational perspective, more understanding like Asian American history, kind of how Filipinos came here, how other Asian Americans came here and understanding their struggle and 
also I had, there's a class I took on multiracial ethnic identity. So on Asian biracials. And so really learning mm. from a teacher who was multi-ethnic, she was biracial, Asian biracial, and learning about the struggles that <laughs> people like me have. Like there, there's an actual identity process that's where we, we go through these stages of really struggling with our identity and eventually come to a place where we accept it, right? But there's an actual theory on that, guys. Like, I didn't know that. I mean, I didn't know what I was experiencing actually was something that many of thousands of Asian Americans and biracial Americans have experienced, right? And so I think that was like super like validating. So I was just going to say, it sounds like it was really validating for you and a lot of different levels. I was also mm-hmm. going to say, it sounds like it should have been a class that maybe was offered in like elementary school. Like, <laughs> right? right? Yeah, why do we have to right. wait to college to yeah, like delve into this stuff? And it's so, you know, it's kind of shitty that like, anyway, you're in college, you're generally dealing with some sort of identity crisis because you're leaving home, you're trying to figure out the big question, what do I want to do with my life? And right, they like, you're supposed to make a decision at 18 on what you want to do so when true. you're till you're like the rest of your life, which is yeah. stupid. But anyway, and so you're already an identity crisis and then you throw on top of it, your racial identity crisis. Mm. And it probably would have been a lot easier if they had maybe been offered classes like that. And I guess that comes into the whole picture. We should be teaching different things in, in you know, primary school and, and secondary school and elementary school and middle school kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, it sounds it sounds like that would have been very useful to you at an earlier earlier age for sure. Absolutely, um, I think even knowing what we know now, I wish that there were just some more simplistic versions of race and identity and the importance of understanding who you are. And I think in this uh, this climate now that we struggle with, right? If we're educating kids at a young age about racism, about race, about ethnic identity, about you know, accepting people for who they are, understanding different cultures at such a younger age, there would be much more tolerance, you know, I mean, we do a good job of it, but we don't do a good enough job of that. And I I think it depends on where we are geographically too, right? Um, How good a job that gets done. Well, I also think, I also think another like conflict in that conversation that happens is it's this balance between tolerance of human nature, tolerance of humans as as a thing, but also having the compassion and the knowledge to support races as individuals, you know, is, is like an individual thing of, of race and color and being able to support that identity while also supporting the, the unity and the collective of being human. So it's like these individual pockets of race that should all be celebrated and mm-hmm. they should also be celebrated as just being humans. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's sometimes a conflict that we that we have is how do we support um, racial identity while also supporting human identity? Mm, um, and I think that that's that's a big conflict within within I think the younger generations of of identifying as a biracial you know child or a black child or a white child or a you know, a brown child, and also that you're human too, and you're the same as the black child, and you're the same as the white child, but yes, you are also different. And how do you have that conversation while celebrating difference, but also celebrating unity? I sort of think too about your home life, Samaya, and how the influence that you talked about was the Asian influence. White culture, Mm -hmm. as a culture, can 
And it's true for every, I mean, it's like African-American or, or black or that are not from Africa or Asian or all these cultures are so different. And within the cultures, there's different sections of culture, right? So we talk about people growing up Catholic or Jewish or whatever. Those are the separating posts. And so you had more separating posts than most. So I just wonder if, you know, the racial identity conflict started even within your own household with your mom and your dad. Yeah. Because what I heard you say was on your dad, your dad and your dad's side, they stressed education, doctor, lawyer, these kinds of high quote unquote success careers. I wonder what influence you got from your mom. So oh my God, it's so funny that you say that because I was really trying to figure this out last night, like as I was uh, not sleeping at 2.30 in the morning, thinking about what I was going to talk about. The, so the German and the Irish side, right? What culture, what part of the cultural traditions and I, things that I've learned, I don't, I can't really think of that specifically, right? What I can tell you though, in terms of culture and what got passed down in terms of think generationally is to be strong and independent, but to also not ask for help. Right. And so I can't say if that's attributed because of her, you know, German Irish culture. All I can tell you is that was a very strong. Um, those were very strong values that were passed down to me. And my, you know, my mom was my parents divorced. So she was a single mom. Right. And so that showed me the importance of being strong and being independent, but at the same time, she had a lot of struggles too. My mom was, you know, she's a, she's a history of her own childhood trauma and loss and abuse. And what I felt was probably never dealt with right in the best way. And, and because of that, I feel like I sort of internalized a lot of maybe what I thought to be sort of, I feel like she had such high expectations of me. Maybe. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, Almost like she expected you to do what she hadn't done. Yeah. That- like, yeah, like I, I think the for me the unspoken rule was that like you not need to be perfect, but kind of like you yeah, that that I was never never good enough. Yeah, like I was never gonna like I felt like she had such high expectations of me and they weren't really ever said, but I internalized them as being like I'm just for some reason not good enough or um I can't get it right or no matter how I tr- how hard how hard I try, it's still not what she wants. Or does that make sense? Yeah, it, it sounds like it was sense. a it sounds like it was a much more insidious mm-hmm. type of perfectionism mm-hmm. than the outright that you got from your dad's side. Right, your dad's side right. just said, "Hey, this is what we expect from you." Blah blah blah. Exactly. Whereas exactly. maybe from your mom's side, it was more here's the critical parent. This isn't good enough. But there was no definition of what good enough is exactly and and i think to be to be fair if my mom was to even listen to this podcast which she probably wouldn't um (laughs) it's like my mom did the best that she could right like absolutely she did the best that she could in the way she knew how and she did promote a lot of positive things and i've learned a lot from her and my fun loving self and all that all the good stuff comes from her but also the critical part and the part about devaluing myself and not being good enough also came from her too. Well, I find it extremely validating what you're saying because I come from a Polish family um, and my husband comes from a very strong Irish Catholic family, Mm -hmm. uh, grandmother's first generation, 
have eight kids, like very Irish. And I grew up in Poland. You know, my family are first, my grandparents are first generation Polish. And that's very much the mentality of Mm. both of those lineages in my family is like, you have that unspoken, the, I'm going to call it generational trauma of Mm -hmm. high expectations that are, Mm. you know, like in Polish culture, it's very how you keep everything hush hush. And it's just Mm. the unspoken, you're talking about that unspoken expectation Mm -hmm. that you must uphold that nobody really knows what it is, but you're clearly not doing it good enough because somebody's not happy. And so I think I, I'm speaking to the, cause Ray, you said your mom did, our parents did great jobs with what they know. It's the side that they didn't know the generational trauma stuff that they aren't even aware of, of, right. I guarantee her parents had the same thing of this unspoken high expectation thing mm-hmm. and not to analyze your mother, but I can imagine being a single mother was not necessarily in the trajectory of her parents' unspoken mm-hmm. expectations. And, and to tie into that really quick, let alone marrying a Filipino man. Yeah, exactly. The next thing I was going to say is right. she married a doctor, but it wasn't the wasn't the right no, kind of doctor. No, Mm-mm. wasn't the right kind. And then it failed, right? And then in their mind, yeah. in your mom's side of the family, is like, well, of course it failed because you made the mistake in the beginning mm-hmm. of you know, like, and that is very much, I think, that mm-hmm. Eastern European mentality of it's almost stoicism. It's like how, I don't even know if stoicism is a word, but like stoicness of like, this is how it's done. You do <laughs> keeping it like you do everything right and you do it right the first time and that's it. Yeah. It's the only opportunity you get to do it right. And so I, I, to tie it back to what you said, I find it very validating what you spoke about your mom because that was very much what I grew up with mm. is, is that kind of thing. And it's funny because the opposite of what I grew up with, I was, I was raised by a, a Filipino woman from the ages of birth till I was seven. And so not that I can relate to really anything, but I do kind of, kind of get it. Not that my nanny ever wanted me to be a doctor. She just wanted me to be happy, but um, that, yeah, that, that, that mentality of your mom, I really can can see in my own kind of journey in that same mm. ballpark of where people are coming from. I thought that I just had is that um, we interview Americans and the value that immigrants have when they come here, they're already leaving behind their culture. They're seeking something beyond that. And they have high expectations of what's going to happen of themselves when they arrive. And all of us are immigrants at one level or another. Mine might've been, you know, back in the 1700s, but it's all, it's, it was, I think, well, there are classes on this too, the, the mentality of immigrants and, and what they bring with them. And I think that sticks throughout the generations. So when you're talking about the critical parent, you know, all our parents want us to do better. All of us, you know, have had a judgment that was not possibly meant to be so judgmental, but that was anyway. And I'd be really curious if we interviewed someone from another country whose roots went much deeper than any of ours, if that would be a similar struggle or if it might be something else. 
It's funny you say that because I think about the idea of being successful, right? My dad coming here to the, coming from the Philippines as an immigrant, doesn't speak any English, right? Or minimal. He spoke English, but not very good. Still doesn't today. Like, I don't get why he's like 76. <laughs> like, I still don't understand my dad half the time. I'm like, what are you saying, dad? I don't, I don't get it. I don't, can you break it down? I don't, anyways, um, I digress. So going back to that, I think about the... Uh, I really do. And again, this is all speculation because it's not like my dad talks about this stuff, but like the internal pressure of having to be successful, right. To make it here in America, right. To to say that, yes, I came to America and I am a doctor and I am successful, but the amount of pressure that probably he probably internalized. And I know he did because talking to think my aunt, his, my aunt, his sister, the pressure for him to be perfect and to be successful from his dad. So that can be like, that was inherited generationally. So his dad was super critical, expected him to be perfect, expected he was the oldest, expected him to take care of his younger siblings, right? That if he didn't, then he was somehow responsible, right? So learning this about my dad, not by him, but by his sister, then having to be, you know, in his twenties to come to America, the first one to come to America, and then to try and you know, get his medical, pass his residency, get his, you know, medical license here. I can't imagine the amount of pressure he must have felt all that riding on him to, to be here, you know, and I can't help but wonder, maybe that's some of the stuff that he just carried on. And I, 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 you know, having me maybe. Yeah. Right. Epigenetics. Well, I, right. Yeah. I also think it's too, like, when I think about, you know, when I have compassion for your dad, it's, not only are you leaving your core values and what you grew up with and coming here and, and trying to achieve those values, you also have assimilation. You also okay. have to assimilate to a whole nother set of values that there are a lot of alignments, right? With sometimes the American dream and, and those values of success, right? It's, 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 just the definition of success, I think, between the American dream and, you know, from other cultures is very similar. Financial stability. Financial stability is what you're supposed to achieve. And, um, but I think that having compassion and coming from a place of like, God, that like, talk about an identity crisis. Like, what are you supposed to, what values are you supposed to choose from? Are you supposed to choose from the ones of the American dream? Or are you supposed to keep the ones that your family, you know, bestowed on you that brought you to this point? And, and I can't even begin to imagine what that struggle was. And I, you know, it sounds like the value that stayed was the success value of you going and you making a lot of money and you being able to, you know, the idea of making a lot of money is so that you never have to worry about providing. That's like right. an essential thing. And so coming from different cultures where providing from your family is a lot harder. That's why people come here because you think it's easier to provide, you know, once you're here. And totally. I just, yeah, I just have a lot of compassion because that must've been so difficult for him to decide what he was going to keep as his own and, and assimilate to, to this culture in this country. So all these things are kind of coming back to me. So my dad actually got COVID and was hospitalized and um, he was really sick and I can't help but think for, it's not funny, but I think in many ways it was a near death experience for him, right? And in doing this, he was reflecting back about the things and the mistakes he's made. And he kept going back to, I'm basically, I'm sorry if I only knew, I didn't know what I was doing. He'd say that over and over again. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing, right? 
he's talking about our family breaking up, right? And separating. And so that's one of his biggest regrets, which I've never heard him say anything like that. But it, he was saying, if only I knew. So maybe if somebody had taught him or talked to him or maybe helped him to adjust, or this is what you're going to expect when you come to America. And this is, this is how you deal with it. And this is how you work through things, you know, like maybe he wouldn't, he wouldn't have struggled as much as he did. You know what I mean? And I, so. I, I sense that what we need to do is put together an American immigrant handbook. <laughs> exactly with everything exactly. And one of the conversations that needs to be because I'm thinking about your dad and I'm thinking about the con that this this kind of awakening during right. this COVID awakening. process that he had and and what right. it sounds like to me is kind of what I said is like nobody had the conversation of what his values were he had his family values he had the American dream values and you just find what works in that capacity for you and I think as you learned firsthand, unless you identify your own values, things aren't going to be able to work out how you want. Families are not going to be able to stay together, especially mixed racial couples, you know, is like, there's such a drastic difference of what you're culturally coming into. And if you don't have your own identity of your values, of course, it's not going to work. You know, it's, you're just kind of grappling with what you should be doing and not what you want to or need to be doing for yourself. Agreed. I think he was just lost on so many levels. And I realized that after like me being 45, I think he's 75. Not sure. Sorry, dad, if I added <laughs> a year to your age, I don't know. But like him having insight in that, in that moment of awakening, I felt really um, validated. Right. Because he just, he didn't know. No. My mom didn't know. Right. She didn't know. She did the best that she could. He also did the best that he could. Like, how can I be angry at my parents for, doing the best that they could with what they had at the time, right? Um, but I do have to say my, my dad had some really major struggles. Like it took a lot of courage. I know the expectation was to come here to America and be successful, right? But like, he still probably didn't have the choice. He could have stayed in the Philippines and, and not tried, right? But he had the courage to, to be the first one in his family to come here and try and make it work. And he did in many ways, super successful doctor, plastic surgeon, opened his own surgery center, made millions of dollars. I mean, crazy stuff, like crazy, <laughs> like crazy, um, you know, and then lost it all, lost it all at when I was 16, lost it all. Um, and it, it, as his way of coping, he shut down and he fled to the Philippines. Really? And that was it. Yeah, that was it when I was 16. And then I hadn't heard from him for 10 years that's an extreme version of not coping well, obviously, you know, um, you know, is that a cultural component? Was that his part of his underlying mental health, his depression, you know, all of the above. Know. All uh, of yeah. The, all of the above. Check all, check right? all the boxes. Well, cause if you think about it, right. The cultural you know? thing, mental health in a lot of cultures is not something that's discussed. Coping mechanisms Absolutely. are not discussed. You bury your emotions, you buckle Absolutely. through and you avoid at all costs. And essentially I, he avoided at all costs. What I hear is um, to kind of bring it back around to you, Samaya, is that I hear there's some forgiveness there for your parents that they were doing that the best that they could. And at the same time, you still have your struggles, mm -hmm. uh, trying to identify who you are as a person, identifying your values, where they came from. And what you've, it sounds like you've come to terms with is that probably your biggest value is authenticity because there's a huge need for that in order to be able to forgive and to move through and into a new space, you have to be who you really are. And I'm wondering, <laughs> that was a lot, that was a lot for authenticity. 
We got to one value, value today. Value. Thank you. Yeah, just one value. That's <laughs> one value. That's it. No, but I think I think it's this is such an important conversation, Absolutely. and I feel like the the theme that we've had with a lot of the guests that we had these last couple of weeks have been cultural values clashing with individual values and mm-hmm. how immigration, race, all of that ties into conflict that somebody experiences in their life. And I think being white with two white parents, that was not necessarily something I struggled with. And I just find it so impactful to me to be able to have these conversations around this because I didn't grow up having them. I never, I, everybody in my school was white. We all had white parents. There was no anything about conflict and identity in that sort. The only conflict of identity I had was that I was a rebel. That was it, you know? And so I feel like these conversations are so good for me and so good for our listeners because they can be uncomfortable. Talking about race is always, is always uncomfortable for a lot of people. I shouldn't say always is uncomfortable for a lot of people. And this is an opportunity to have a safe discussion about it and then learn and, and have compassion for that struggle, both from just you, Samaya, and also your parents and having compassion for them and having compassion for a whole generation of immigrants that then had kids that now are really trying to work through those issues. So yeah, it's a long, it's a long one, but I feel like it's a good, <laughs> I feel like it's a good one. Uh, Rachel, you hit something on the, like a, something totally about um, mental health and being Asian and Filipino and the part that is so strong. And I think for my dad, again, whether he admits it or not, or has insight about it or not, is the shame and the stigma yeah. of, um, being a failure, right? Having being sick or being mentally ill, right? Or depressed in his situation, right? Uh, and not reaching out for help, just internalizing that, I think is why he fled, right? Like yeah. is why he left. He couldn't deal with it, right? It was too painful. Yeah. He couldn't look at my, my face and my brother's face and say like, I failed, you know? Yeah. And he came back. Yeah. So I, I yeah. So I know for him, it was so hard and there's been no words to it. And the conversations we've had over the years is like, I'm sorry, Sumi, you know, like that's all he, you know, all he could say is kind of, I'm sorry, you know? And I think again, he just, he had nobody, he had no role models, right? He had nobody to look to or ask for help or even, or it wasn't even okay to ask for help, right? It was just, you just deal with it or you don't. And so instead of dealing with it, he, he left, right. He just avoided it because it was too painful and he didn't have the skills or the coping mechanisms right? from no one, no one taught him any of that stuff. And so it was a huge loss when he left, right. Because then I had to deal with my own grief and loss around that. Well, I'm curious. I know what you do for a living. And so (laughs) I am curious to two parts to this question. Yeah. Do you think that subconsciously, consciously experiencing that and experiencing the inability to be able to cope, you're, you know, watching your father with the inability to cope eventually led you to literally helping people learn mental health skills? Um, That's the first part question. And the second part question is having the cultural, the cultural viewpoints on mental health in the Filipino culture was there a hard acceptance for the fact that you chose to go into the mental health field? So those are my two part questions. 
Oh, that's complicated. No, um, <laughs> I think, yeah, my path was <laughs> led me to mental health. And I think it's no surprise that I think like growing up a lot of, in a lot of ways, I was like the caretaker, right? The one who took care of my parents emotionally. They met my, all my basic needs, but on my, my mom, you know, she needed a lot emotionally. And my dad clearly, clearly <laughs> needed a lot, still does today. God love him. But you know, he, he needs a lot. And so going through my own process, of whatever, what self-discovery and identity, you know, working through my own stuff in therapy, because thank God for therapy, thank God and medication too, guys, medication and therapy, swear to God is what works. I'm just telling you. <laughs> and I will tell my clients to this day that I, I do what I tell you to do. Okay. Yeah. Because, and that's part of being authentic, right. And being true. But in this process too, it's also coming to accept and having compassion for myself and learning to love myself, right? So all this stuff in, in this crazy journey, right, is the process of figuring all this stuff out. Yeah, in my struggle and in my literally devastation of my dad leaving, right, is what led, led me to trying to figure that out. And doing that is working in the helping profession and just kind of falling into social work was, it was just my path. I can't tell you how it was. All that it was was like, oh, how do I get paid more than nine dollars an hour? You know, with college <laughs> after college, right? I was working in a group home with juvenile sex offenders, and I was like, how do I get paid more than nine dollars an hour? And then I found out there was this uh, school of social work. I was like, what's that? They're like, well, you help people. And I was like, do I get paid more than nine dollars an hour? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, sign me up. So I actually applied for graduate school, San Diego State, didn't really know what it was. I interviewed for what you call the Title IV-E program, working for CPS, didn't really know what that was either. And holy shit, basically, <laughs> my life had changed. It was never the same. <laughs> well, I just have to thank you for being so vulnerable and so authentic and sharing all that about your dad and then how you came to honestly come to your career. And that was through your own struggles. Yeah. I think that's a familiar story for a lot of helping professionals. And you are a success story and you are still working through your stuff. Yeah. And that's a lifelong process. But again, I, I, I really appreciate that, Samaya. Um, it just makes you so authentic. It makes you so authentic. Like, <laughs> that so authentic. Is- I know that you share yourself with a lot of people. And what our listeners don't know, but what I do know is that you have a multiracial family. And when we talk about teaching our children how to be comfortable in their own skins, I know that you, your girls are um, giving you a lot, a huge amount of love and purpose and that you work with them on many different things. And I know that race is one of the things that you have talked to them about. And um, can you just kind of, would you, would you mind going there with us? Of course, why not? And I'm already vulnerable, anyways. I got tear. I'm, I'm, I'm a mess. It's, it's my, why not? Um, so my girls, Julie and Jenna, um, are from the foster care system. And they're African American, and they're sisters, ten and eleven, and they've had a hard life for being so young. And me and Matt, my husband, uh, chosen to not have our own children and instead adopt because. Obviously, there's a lot of children that need families, right? So, and can we, we just this- identify the fact that your husband Matt is white? Oh, he's white. <laughs> so I'm Filipino, German, Irish. Matt's a big, tall, white guy, and there are these two beautiful black girls who are 
beautiful, gorgeous. One's darker skin, the other one's lighter skin, but clearly biologically not ours, right? And so, yeah, it was a conscious, purposeful decision to adopt them because you're right. I wanted to, I wanted to give them what I did, like what I didn't have, right? I wanted to offer them a chance at a at a second life, a chance where they had where where they were not given that at birth, right? And so, I wanted to offer that for them is to give them a chance that they can have it. They can have a stable home. They can have somebody that loves them. They can have somebody that accepts them unconditionally with their flaws and all right with their trauma and their loss and their mental health, but with all the wonderful things that they have, you know, that they're amazing, smart, intelligent, independent little girls. Right. So all of that, you know, and through my own journey of, of coming to have like self-love and self-compassion I try to model that for them that I'm not perfect so not perfect and that mom makes mistakes all the time and that it's okay right because I want them to know they don't they don't have to be perfect all they have to do is try right and and, and if they are struggling that there's a community of people around them to help them survive and to to be successful right um, that's what I'm trying to model for them and teach them is that they don't have to do this alone, right? Life doesn't have to be this difficult. They can, they can have their struggles and still be happy, right? And <laughs> that's still what be I'm loved. trying to teach them and still be loved, right? And accepted. And they don't have to be perfect. And then it's okay to make mistakes. And they may still have that low sense self, you know, low sense of self-worth because of their trauma and their loss. But it I hope with time and with nurturing and consistency and love for me and Matt that eventually their their emotional wounds will be so small that they can live life to the fullest, right? That's what I want to give them. I'm in awe right now. Um, <laughs> Connor and I want to adopt. That's something that's very much important to us. Um, and it is inspiring to hear somebody who chose to do something so incredibly hard and difficult and challenging. And I just keep thinking back to what you said in the beginning of how hard it was for you when somebody would make a comment about how your mom didn't look like your mom and how you know that pain and how you can understand that that probably same comment happens to your girls and you not only know that pain, but were made strong because of that became resilient and became who you are and authentic. And now you get to show them that that comment means nothing and it doesn't change the love that you share for them. And it doesn't change how they get to present themselves in the world. And it's just so inspiring because I imagine that to be a struggle of the choice that Connor and I make about adopting, you know, we want to adopt a child of a different race. We want to be able to provide a home and that's a fear. That's a fear of mine. What you're talking about and what you're, happened to you as a kid is like, oh my God, how am I going to be able to handle that situation? And like, am I going to be able to do it? And you're, and you're literally just paving the way in my mind of that is not even an issue. And like that love is love and love is unconditional. And if I have the ability to love somebody unconditionally, then I'm going to do a great job at adopting a family and having an adoptive family. And like, I am just, this has nothing to do with our podcast right now, but I am just so grateful for your choice to 
choose to do something that's hard and being authentic through that because that that's the truth and you're showing me the truth and I still want it and I just am really I'm just so happy right now and thankful for you and your choice to struggle through something so hard and be open about it and say that at the end of the day you have the most beautiful girls that you love so much and that your mixed family is perfect we're perfectly imperfect is what that's I what like. that's perfectly imperfect yeah. that's it that's what you want that's what you want you know um but, and let's not minimize the fact that them being black is is difficult, difficult. and they're going to come across their challenges and they they do they don't see that now but they're still starting to understand that and being conscious about that and teaching them I can't teach them how to be black in America right all I can offer them is what I know and exposing them to that and you know teaching them you know about black lives matter going to you know we we were part of you know the the demonstrations, like giving them the knowledge about black history, like things like that, that we, we try to be really good about. It doesn't, it does no way uh, replace the fact that we're not black, we're, we're, we're not black, you know, but we try and fill in the gaps where we can and we try to expose them to as much as possible um, so that they have the richness and the depth of what it is to be black in America, right? I can't give that to them, but we could try as hard as we can to educate them about that, right? Um, because soon enough, as they hit teenage years, they're going to experience the racism, discrimination firsthand, you know, and we're going to have to teach them the tools and the coping skills to help manage that as they get older, you know, and so, but we're having these conversations now as 10, 11, so that they are prepared, like, they have to be able to deal with these, the reality of, of being black and, and coming across that, you know, and so a lot of our conversations are probably what around the dinner table are probably what what other black families talk about, I imagine, you know, um, how to deal with these things. Cause that's how you thrive is again, my dad didn't have the coping skills, right? He, no one taught him. My job is to teach them how to, to deal with these things. Right. And Matt too, like we work together as a team to try and figure this out because it is not easy for them. They're not going to have an easy path in life. So our job is to help make it as easy as possible and then teach them the skills and, and the tools that they need to be able to thrive in, in adversity, right? Because that's what they're going to face is. And I, and I think what I, what I hear in that is that you're teaching them to be authentic. Yeah. You're not trying to whitewash uh, the, the fact that they're black. Right. Um, you're not trying to make them conform to a particular standard of look or speech or any of that. And I think that's so important because I imagine, and I don't know <clears throat> firsthand, but I imagine that sometimes that happens in families where we're just going to adopt these children who are of a different race and they are going to become us. Yes. And that is not, that is not who they are. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's so important to be honest and real. And again, we just keep going back to this theme of authenticity that just shows up everywhere for you. And I, I wanted- think your girls are really lucky. Yeah, well, that's that's uh, beyond that's beyond it. And I think, you know, like, I don't know if you know this, and you probably have moments of this, and I'm just going to tell you it that you are such a perfect example of how to build resiliency through your own experience to better the lives of others. And how everything that you're doing for your girls is what didn't happen for you. And 
again, I'm going to use the word inspired as somebody who's working towards motherhood and how something that's important for me is that generational trauma stops with me. And then I'm not going to carry that on and I'm not going to put that onto my children. And you are a clear example of saying that. And you are saying, this is what didn't happen for me. This is the pain that it caused me. These are the coping skills that I lacked. These are the coping skills that I saw my family lack. Not going to happen again. And you're not saying that 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 is eliminating all the problems or that there aren't going to be problems, but the problems that you experience aren't going to happen again. Right. And that'll be a whole new set of problems. It'll be a whole new You know, I say, I say to Connor, my kids are going to be fucked up, but it's not going to be because I didn't love them. That's right. And that to me is you, you live that you, that is talk about authentic. Like you don't hide the fact that there are problems but the problem is, is that your children are, your, the problem is not that your children aren't loved, aren't accepted, aren't seen as beautiful for being different, aren't supported. Those are not the problems. And also that mental health, back to some issues that you experience in your house, that mental health is something that is experienced and it's okay. Yeah, totally. 100%. And your kids, your beautiful girls, are going to be just fine in this world because of what you've done for them, regardless of the, the racial issues that they'll experience. That is just a small sliver of the beauty that you have given them. Couldn't put it any better myself. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I could, uh, we could continue this conversation, I think for hours. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, I do want to be mindful of the fact that we are creating a podcast that yeah, you know, our listeners might not want to continue this conversation <laughs> right. for hours. They probably would. They probably would. Um, Samaya, so this seems like a silly question. And after all our discussion, but what do you have anything that you would say would be a secret to your pie to making it the best pie it could possibly be your wellness pie? Girl, the only thing I could suggest is really reaching out for support. Honestly, if getting help and letting go of the perfectionism and just admitting that I'm flawed and I need help or I'm struggling, please help me. Um, that's the only thing I can offer to you that's made me as successful in life so far as is, is because I am humble enough to be like, help me. I don't understand. I don't get this. Oh my God, I'm lost. You know, Therese, my therapist, thank God for her, you know, like, it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be where I'm at. Like it's, it's about the people you surround yourself with and the willingness to ask that for help and to be humble. That is the one thing I want people to, if I could teach and if I can instill is the ability to ask for help is the most important thing you can ever do for yourself because everybody has their struggles. It's just what you do with it, you know? And so that's my secret is asking for help. Awesome. It's a good secret. It is a- <laughs> I might need you to tell me that secret. <laughs> I can listen to that. that yes. I'll- right. Exactly. And so I will remind you ladies when you have your, Great. you know, Great. issues, I'd be like, remember that one thing we talked about? Asking for help? <laughs> oh yeah. That one. Oh yeah. That one. That one. Yeah. I just want to take a moment and thank this space, hold gratitude for this space, this podcast, because I, and I'm laughing, Dina, because I know that this is how we function when we're together in group. We have an agenda and that's how we think it's going to go. And what this space does and why this space is so powerful is again, the theme of this conversation is authenticity is the authentic aspect to this podcast is we come in with a, an agenda 
but and we, it never goes that way. It never goes that way. And we never tailor the conversation to change what is happening and the organicness, which I know is not a word. Um, Organicity? Is that it? Sure. The organic nature, the oh, organic nature of this podcast and this space and how guests like you, Samaya, who are willing to get vulnerable and show that authentic hard stuff is what makes this podcast so purposeful to me is that it doesn't feel like we're forcing anything. It doesn't feel like we're catering to anything. We just show up as ourselves every time we get on this. We let the conversation be organic. And we, and I think since we do that, everybody grows in the process, not just us as hosts, not just listeners, not just guests. Everybody grows from this like beautiful, organic, vulnerable, authentic space. And I am just taking a moment of gratitude for that and gratitude for you, Samaya, gratitude for you, Dina, because this is what we've created and what we continue to create with these podcasts is something so rich and so beautiful and so knowledgeable in every capacity that it could be in every capacity. Cause we talk about so many different things. And yet really, when you really knock them all down, we're talking about the same thing in many different ways. And I just love that so much. And I'm just so grateful. And I'm incredibly grateful for you too, Rachel, because you help to create this space. You are this space. And, you know, this wouldn't be happening without you. So thank you. And thank you, Samaya, so much for being here today. I I, just make you cry. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, part of my anxiety thing up last night was thinking, oh my God, how vulnerable do I want to be, right? But I was like, I just got to fucking do it. I'm just going to do it, you know? And so um, here I am crying, which is what I didn't want to do. But, you know, that's part of being authentic, right? It's like, show your shit. Here it is. All, all of, for all it is, right? You this know? is the reason I love you so much, Samaya, because you just you are. Know, it's just, it is what it is, right? I was like, I don't want to cry. I want to do boo-hoo, boo-hoo. You know, crying, <laughs> but it's okay. Oh. It's all good. It's all good. I can tell you that your this podcast resonated really deeply in a lot of the things that I'm working towards and like a lot of the things that I see in my future and your vulnerability helped me. So if it doesn't help anybody else, at least you know that your (laughs) vulnerability today is a conversation that I'm going to get off and go have with my husband because you said so many things that are conversations that we're having in our lives and you're coming from a place whether you like to think it or not, of knowledge and of experience that I don't have. And so you helped somebody today and it's me and potentially six other people. Potentially six other listeners, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. Six other listeners. Yeah. Seven, maybe. You know, if you you spread the word, maybe eight. (laughs) And your girls don't know it yet, but when they're old enough to listen to this podcast, Mm -hmm. You'll have helped them too. Oh, thank you. Oh, guys, you're so awesome. I love you guys. I miss you. I miss working with you. <laughs> I miss having you in my office with me. That's the other thing listeners don't know is how how um, amazing it is that I get to spend my weekdays with Samaya in my office when it's not COVID. Right. And we get to have these crazy conversations that go 
all over the place. All over the place. I could not even imagine. <laughs> I couldn't even imagine what the start of the day conversation is and then the end of the day. And it's funny because I know that there's like some work talk in there, but majority of it is not. You know, majority of it well, is like... When usually what happens is what usually what happens is is a work question gets asked and then it just yeah. sort of deviates and right. you know becomes something else well ladies and, this was amazing and and even though it was like tough conversation I feel so filled I feel so like my cup is so filled and I feel so happy right now and I just I yeah I'm just really happy that we had you on our podcast, Samaya, and you were able to share some, some, drop some knowledge on us. And yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks, Dina, always. Yeah. Um, I was, my space in the world has changed so much between, well, it started out because of COVID and COVID has given me that pause to have to fill. And what it's been filled with is these kinds of conversations. And I have changed so much over the course of the year. And the thoughts that I have in my head are so different than they were one year ago. And it's, uh, there are no superlatives that can describe <laughs> how amazing it's been. And Samaya, you've been a huge part of that. Rachel, a huge part. And our, our guests that have come through and those that I continue to hope we have, it's, it's, uh, I don't even know the word for it. I can't even describe it. It's, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. Well, Samaya, thank you so much. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your Sunday. I know. Enjoy this gorgeous day. Oh my God. It's so pretty. Got to get outside. Gorgeous. Bye guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. I don't even know what to say about this podcast, Rachel. It was, see, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. It's, it was an amazing just I keep using that word amazing and it doesn't do it justice. It was so impactful. It was, it was very impactful. And I learned so much and I felt so much, so much. Yeah. I felt so much. And I think that that is what I value most about our discussions that we have with our guests that I feel. Yeah. It's just such a genuine feeling too. I'm so excited for next week and the weeks to come and all of these amazing guests we have lined up. And just continuing to grow and learn. And I say feel. every podcast, feel. And I say it every podcast. This podcast helps me become the woman that I want to be. And I just am grateful for that. Yes, as am I. And as I said earlier, I think that I've changed so much since the beginning of COVID. Yes. And this podcast is a huge part of that. Yes. So thank you. Thank you. And I will see you next week. All right. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.